Section 51 of the Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3, Section 51, The Napoleon of the People, from The Country Doctor, by Honoré de Balzac, Part 1. Let us go to my barn, said the doctor, taking Genestus by the arm, after saying good night to the curate and his other guests and there captain bluteau you will hear about napoleon we shall find a few old cronies who will set gogula the postman to declaiming about the people's god nicole my stableman was to put a ladder by which we can get into the hayloft through a window and find a place where we can see and hear all that goes on a valet is worth the trouble believe me come it isn't the first time i've hidden in the hay to hear the tale of a soldier or some peasant yarn but we must hide if these poor people see a stranger they are constrained at once and are no longer their natural selves hey my dear host said genestus haven't i often pretended to sleep that i might listen to my troopers round a bivouac i never laughed more heartily in the paris theatres than i did at an account of the retreat from moscow told in fun by an old sergeant to a lot of recruits who were afraid of war he declared the french army slept in sheets and drank its wine well iced that the dead stood still in the roads russia was white they curried the horses with their teeth those who liked to skate had lots of fun, and those who fancied frozen puddings ate their fill. The women were usually cold, and the only thing that was really disagreeable was the want of hot water to shave with. In short, he recounted such absurdities that an old quartermaster who had had his nose frozen off, and was known by the name Nez Restant, laughed himself hush said benassis here we are i'll go first follow me the pair mounted the ladder and crouched in the hay without being seen or heard by the people below and placed themselves at ease so that they could see and hear all that went on the women were sitting in groups round the three or four candles that stood on the tables some were sewing some knitting several sat idle their necks stretched out and their heads and eyes turned to an old peasant who was telling a story most of the men were standing or lying on bales of hay these groups all perfectly silent were scarcely visible in the flickering glimmer of the tallow candles encircled by glass bowls full of water which concentrated the light in rays upon the women at work about the tables the size of the barn whose roof was dark and sombre still further obscured the rays of light which touched the heads with unequal colour and brought out picturesque effects of light and shade here the brown forehead and the clear eyes of an eager little peasant girl shone forth 
there the rough brows of a few old men were sharply defined by a luminous band which made fantastic shapes of their worn and discoloured garments these various listeners so diverse in their attitudes all expressed on their motionless features the absolute abandonment of their intelligence to the narrator it was a curious picture illustrating the enormous influence exercised over every class of mind by poetry in exacting from a storyteller the marvellous that must still be simple or the impossible that is almost believable the peasant proves himself to be a true lover of the purest poetry come monsieur gogila said the gamekeeper tell us about the emperor the evening is half over said the postman and i don't like to shorten the victories never mind go on you've told them so many times we know them all by heart but it is always a pleasure to hear them again yes tell us about the emperor cried many voices together since you wish it replied gogila but you'll see it isn't worth much when i have to tell it on the double quick charge i'd rather tell about a battle shall i tell about champ aubert where we used up all the cartridges and spitted the enemy on our bayonets no no the emperor the emperor the veteran rose from his bale of hay and cast upon the assemblage that black look laden with miseries emergencies and sufferings which distinguishes the faces of old soldiers he seized his jacket by the two front flaps raised them as if about to pack the knapsack which formerly held his clothes his shoes and all his fortune then he threw the weight of his body on his left leg advanced the right and yielded with a good grace to the demands of the company after pushing his grey hair to one side to show his forehead he raised his head towards heaven that he might as it were put himself on the level of the gigantic history he was about to relate you see my friends napoleon was born in corsica a french island warmed by the sun of italy where it is like a furnace and where the people kill each other from father to son all about nothing that's a way they have to begin with the marvel of the thing his mother who was the handsomest woman of her time and a knowing one bethought herself of dedicating him to god so that he might escape the dangers of his childhood and future life for she had dreamed that the world was set on fire the day he was born and indeed it was a prophecy so she asked god to protect him on condition that napoleon should restore his holy religion which was then cast to the ground well that was agreed upon and we shall see what came of it follow me closely and tell me if what you hear is in the nature of man sure and certain it is that none but a man who conceived the idea of making a compact with god could have passed unhurt through the enemy's lines through cannon-balls and discharges of grape-shot that swept the rest of us off like flies and always respected his head i had a proof of that i myself 
at Eilau. I see him now, as he rode up a height, took his field-glass, looked at the battle, and said, All goes well. One of those plumed busybodies, who plagued him considerably and followed him everywhere, even to his meals, so they said, thought to play the wag, and took the emperor's place as he rode away. Ho! Oh, in a twinkling, head and plume were off. You must understand that Napoleon had promised to keep the secret of his compact all to himself. That's why all those who followed him, even his nearest friends, fell like nuts. Duroc, Bessieres, Lanz, all strong as steel bars, though he could bend them as he pleased. Besides, to prove he was the child of God, and made to be the father of soldiers, was he ever known to be lieutenant or captain? No, no, commander-in-chief from the start. He didn't look to be more than twenty-four years of age when he was an old general at the taking of Toulon, where he first began to show the others that they knew nothing about manoeuvring cannon. After that down came our slip of a general to command the grand army of Italy, which hadn't bread, nor munitions, nor shoes, nor coats, a poor army, as naked as a worm. My friends, said he, here we are together. Get it into your pates that fifteen days from now you will be conquerors new clothes, good gaiters, famous shoes, and every man with a great coat. But, my children, to get these things you must march to Milan, where they are. And we marched. France, crushed as flat as a bedbug, straightened up. We were thirty thousand bare feet against eighty thousand Austrian bullies, all fine men, well set up. I see em now. But Napoleon, he was then only Bonaparte, he knew how to put the courage into us. We marched by night and we marched by day. We slapped their faces at Montenotte, we thrashed them at Rivoli, Lodi, Arcole, Milissimo, and we never let em up. A soldier gets the taste of conquest. So Napoleon whirled round those Austrian generals, who didn't know where to poke themselves to get out of his way, and he pelted em well, nipped off ten thousand men at a blow sometimes, by getting round them with fifteen hundred Frenchmen, and then he gleaned as he pleased. He took their cannon, their supplies, their money, their munitions, in short, all they had that was good to take. He fought them and beat them on the mountains. He drove them into the rivers and seas. He bit them in the air. He devoured them on the ground. And he lashed them everywhere. Hey, the grand army feathered itself well. For, d'ye see, the emperor, who was also a wit, called up the inhabitants and told them he was there to deliver them. So after that the natives lodged and cherished us, the women too, and very judicious they were. Now here's the end of it. In Vantos, 96, in those times that was the month of March of today, we lay cuddled in a corner of Savoy with the marmots, 
and yet before that campaign was over we were masters of italy just as napoleon had predicted and by the following march in a single year and two campaigns he had brought us within sight of vienna twas a clean sweep we devoured their armies one after the other and made an end of four austrian generals one old fellow with white hair was roasted like a rat in the straw at mantua kings begged for mercy on their knees peace was won could a man have done that no god helped him to a certainty he divided himself up like the loaves in the gospel commanded the battle by day planned it by night going and coming for the sentinels saw him never eating never sleeping so seeing these prodigies the soldiers adopted him for their father forward march then those others the rulers in paris seeing this said to themselves here's a bold one that seems to get his orders from the skies he's likely to put his paw on france we must let him loose on asia we will send him to america perhaps that will satisfy him but twas written above for him as it was for jesus christ the command went forth that he should go to egypt see again his resemblance to the son of god but that's not all he called together his best veterans his fire-eaters the ones he had particularly put the devil into and he said to them like this my friends they have given us egypt to chew up just to keep us busy but we'll swallow it whole in a couple of campaigns as we did italy the common soldiers shall be princes and have the land for their own forward march forward march cried the sergeants and there we were at toulon rowed to egypt at that time the english had all their ships in the sea but when we embarked napoleon said they won't see us it is just as well that you should know from this time forth that your general has got his star in the sky which guides and protects us what was said was done passing over the sea we took malta like an orange just to quench his thirst for victory for he was a man who couldn't live and do nothing so here we are in egypt good once here other orders the egyptians d c are men who ever since the earth was have had giants for sovereigns and armies as numerous as ants for you must understand that's the land of genii and crocodiles where they've built pyramids as big as our mountains and buried their kings under them to keep them fresh an idea that pleased them mightily so then after we disembarked the little corporal said to us my children the country you are going to conquer has a lot of gods that you must respect because frenchmen ought to be friends with everybody and fight the nations without vexing the inhabitants get it into your skulls that you are not to touch anything at first for it is all going to be yours soon forward march so far so good 
but all those people of africa to whom napoleon was foretold under the name of kebir bonaberdis a word of their lingo that means the sultan fires were afraid as the devil of him so the grand turk and asia and africa had recourse to magic they sent us a demon named the mahdi supposed to have descended from heaven on a white horse which like its master was bullet-proof and both of them lived on air without food to support them there are some that say they saw them but i can't give you any reasons to make you certain about that the rulers of arabia and the mamelukes tried to make their troopers believe that the mahdi could keep them from perishing in battle and they pretended he was an angel sent from heaven to fight napoleon and get back solomon's seal solomon's seal was part of their paraphernalia which they vowed our general had stolen you must understand that we'd given em a good many wry faces in spite of what he had said to us now tell me how they knew that napoleon had a pact with god was that natural do you think they held to it in their minds that napoleon commanded the genie and could pass hither and thither in the twinkling of an eye like a bird the fact is he was everywhere at last it came to his carrying off a queen beautiful as the dawn for whom he had offered all his treasure and diamonds as big as pigeons eggs a bargain which the mameluke to whom she particularly belonged positively refused although he had several others such matters when they come to that pass can't be settled without a great many battles and indeed there was no scarcity of battles there was fighting enough to please everybody we were in line at alexandria at giza and before the pyramids we marched in the sun and through the sand where some who had the dazzles saw water that they couldn't drink and shade where their flesh was roasted but we made short work of the mamelukes and everybody else yielded at the voice of napoleon who took possession of upper and lower egypt arabia and even the capitals of kingdoms that were no more where there were thousands of statues and all the plagues of egypt more particularly lizards a mammoth of a country where everybody could take his acres of land for as little as he pleased well while napoleon was busy with his affairs inland where he had it in his head to do fine things the english burned his fleet at abukir for they were always looking about them to annoy us but napoleon who had the respect of the east and of the west whom the pope called his son and the cousin of mohammed called his dear father resolved to punish england and get hold of india in exchange for his fleet he was just about to take us across the red sea into asia a country where there are diamonds and gold to pay the soldiers and palaces for bivouacs when the mahdi made a treaty with the plague and sent it down to hinder our victories halt the army to a man defiled at that parade and few there were who came back on their feet dying soldiers couldn't take saint jean d'arc 
though they rushed at it three times with generous and martial obstinacy the plague was the strongest no saying to that enemy my good friend every soldier lay ill napoleon alone was fresh as a rose and the whole army saw him drinking in pestilence without its doing him a bit of harm ha my friends will you tell me that that's in the nature of a mere man the mamelukes knowing we were all in the ambulances thought they could stop the way but that sort of joke wouldn't do with napoleon so he said to his demons his veterans those that had the toughest hide go clear me the way Junot, a sabre of the first cut and his particular friend took a thousand men no more and ripped up the army of the pasha who had had the presumption to put himself in the way after that we came back to headquarters at cairo now here's another side of the story napoleon absent france was letting herself be ruined by the rulers in paris who kept back the pay of the soldiers of the other armies and their clothing and their rations left them to die of hunger and expected them to lay down the law to the universe without taking any trouble to help them idiots who amused themselves by chattering instead of putting their own hands in the dough well that's how it happened that our armies were beaten and the frontiers of france were encroached upon the man was not there now observe i say man because that's what they called him but twas nonsense for he had a star and all its belongings it was we who were only men he taught history to france after his famous battle of abokir where without losing more than three hundred men and with a single division he vanquished the grand army of the turk seventy-five thousand strong and hustled more than half of it into the sea Rah! that was his last thunderclap in egypt he said to himself seeing the way things were going in paris i am the saviour of france i know it and i must go but understand me the army didn't know he was going or they'd have kept him by force and made him emperor of the east so now we were sad for he was gone who was all our joy he left the command to kleber a big mastiff who came off duty at cairo assassinated by an egyptian whom they put to death by impaling him on a bayonet that's the way they guillotine people down there but it makes them suffer so much that a soldier had pity on the criminal and gave him his canteen and then as soon as the egyptian had drunk his fill he gave up the ghost with all the pleasure in life but that's a trifle we couldn't laugh at then napoleon embarked in a cockle-shell a little skiff that was nothing at all though twas called fortune and in a twinkling under the nose of england who was blockading him with ships of the line frigates and anything that could hoist a sail he crossed over and there he was in france for he always had the power mind you of crossing the seas at one straddle was that a human man bah so one minute he is at frejus the next in paris there 
they all adore him but he summons the government what have you done with my children the soldiers he says to the lawyers you're a mob of rascally scribblers you are making france a mess of pottage and snapping your fingers at what people think of you it won't do and i speak the opinion of everybody so on that they wanted to battle with him and kill him click he had em locked up in barracks or flying out of windows or drafted among his followers where they were as mute as fishes and as pliable as a quid of tobacco after that stroke consul and then as it was not for him to doubt the supreme being he fulfilled his promise to the good god who you see had kept his word to him he gave him back his churches and re-established his religion the bells rang for god and for him and lo everybody was pleased primo the priests whom he saved from being harassed secundo the bourgeois who thought only of their trade and no longer had to fear the rapiamus of the law which had got to be unjust tertio the nobles for he forbade they should be killed as unfortunately the people had got the habit of doing but he still had the enemy to wipe out and he wasn't the man to go to sleep at a mess-table because d'ye see his eye looked over the whole earth as if it were no bigger than a man's head so then he appeared in italy like as though he had stuck his head through the window one glance was enough the austrians were swallowed up at marengo like so many gudgeons by a whale Oof! the french eagles sang their paeans so loud that all the world heard them and it sufficed we won't play that game any more said the german enough enough said all the rest to sum up europe backed down england knocked under general peace and the kings and the people made believe kiss each other that's the time when the emperor invented the legion of honor and a fine thing too in france this is what he said at bologna before the whole army every man is brave so the citizen who does a fine action shall be sister to the soldier and the soldier shall be his brother and the two shall be one under the flag of honor we who were down in egypt now came home all was changed he left us general and hey in a twinkling we found him emperor france gave herself to him like a fine girl to a lancer when it was done to the satisfaction of all as you may say a sacred ceremony took place the like of which was never seen under the canopy of the skies the pope and the cardinals in their red and gold vestments crossed the alps expressly to crown him before the army and the people who clapped their hands there is one thing that i should do very wrong not to tell you in egypt in the desert close to syria the red man came to him on the mount of moses and said all is well then at marengo the night before the victory the same red man appeared before him for the second time standing erect and saying 
thou shalt see the world at thy feet thou shalt be emperor of france king of italy master of holland sovereign of spain portugal and the illyrian provinces protector of germany saviour of poland first eagle of the legion of honour all this red man you understand was his genius his spirit a sort of satellite who served him as some say to communicate with his star i never really believed that but the red man himself is a true fact napoleon spoke of him and said he came to him in troubled moments and lived in the palace of the tuileries under the roof so on the day of the coronation napoleon saw him for the third time and they were in consultation over many things after that napoleon went to milan to be crowned king of italy and there the grand triumph of the soldier began every man who could write was made an officer down came pensions it rained duckies treasures poured in for the staff which didn't cost france a penny and the legion of honour provided incomes for the private soldiers of which i receive mine to this day so here were the armies maintained as never before on this earth but besides that the emperor knowing that he was to be the emperor of the whole world bethought him of the bourgeois and to please them he built fairy monuments after their own ideas in places where you'd never think to find any for instance suppose you were coming back from spain and going to berlin well you'd find triumphal arches along the way with common soldiers sculptured on the stone every bit the same as generals in two or three years and without imposing taxes on any of you napoleon filled his vaults with gold built palaces made bridges roads scholars fetes laws vessels harbours and spent millions upon millions such enormous sums that he could so they tell me have paved france from end to end with five franc pieces if he had had a mind to now when he sat at ease on his throne and was master of all so that europe waited his permission to do his bidding he remembered his four brothers and his three sisters and he said to us as it might be in conversation in an order of the day my children is it right that the blood relations of your emperor should be begging their bread no i wish to see them in splendour like myself it becomes therefore absolutely necessary to conquer a kingdom for each of them to the end that frenchmen may be masters over all lands that the soldiers of the guard shall make the whole earth tremble that france may spit where she likes and that all the nations shall say to her as it is written on my copper coins god protects you agreed cried the army we'll go fish for thy kingdoms with our bayonets ha there was no backing down don't you see if he had taken it into his head to conquer the moon we should have made ready packed knapsacks and clambered up happily he didn't think of it 
the kings of the countries who liked their comfortable thrones were naturally loath to budge and had to have their ears pulled so then forward march we did march we got there and the earth once more trembled to its centre hey the men and the shoes he used up in those days the enemy dealt us such blows that none but the grand army could have stood the fatigue of it but you are not ignorant that a frenchman is born a philosopher and knows that a little sooner or a little later he has got to die so we were ready to die without a word for we liked to see the emperor doing that on the geographies end of section fifty one